If then you'd like to turn to Second Chronicles and chapter 33, I draw our attention, and uh, we're looking here, aren't we, at uh, King Manasseh, king there in Jerusalem, king of the southern kingdom, son indeed of Hezekiah. And we see of him, well, we learned a lot of things about him, but we see this. When he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed to him. And he, that is God, received his entreaty, heard his supplication and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. And then a very poignant statement, isn't it? Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. How interesting that is. The title, and uh, you'll see how this applies, is this. You are not a hopeless case. You are not a hopeless case. Indeed, reading this, nobody, nobody out there, whoever you might think of, wherever they are at the moment, in their sin perhaps, whatever they may be presenting, by way of what looks like their, their kind of dominant ruling passions and interests. Yet in the end, Manasseh and his life, and what happened to him, and what God did for him, is proof abundant. No hopeless cases. No hopeless cases. Well, this uh, book was completed actually after the people of God came back from exile. They've been warned. We read here in Second Chronicles, Manasseh was warned. And if you read the parallel account in Second Kings, chapter 21, you'll see there that the people were warned. They warned exactly what would happen to them if they continued in their wicked ways, built their altars to foreign gods, their carved images, shedding much innocent blood, which is what we learn Manasseh did, consulting, soothsayers, spiritists, why even having his sons perish in the fire as they were there following the pagan rituals, seemingly to try to appease the gods, make them happy that they would smile upon the nation. Well, what wickedness, what awful cruelty. This was the experience of that day. And while Chronicles, compared to Kings, makes its focus primarily southern kingdom, Life and worship in Jerusalem makes that its main kind of object of showing us this and often how things went wrong. But then how sometimes there would be an extraordinary reversal that God would show mercy. This was what Manasseh knew. He knew the Lord was God. Who is a pardoning God like thee? It was grace immense and free. This was unbelievable. This was unparalleled. This makes, doesn't it, there, above all the deities, and he knew a fair bit about them because he'd been worshipping them, and encouraging the nation to worship them. He had been making it uh, the big feature. Look, even in the house of the Lord, well, we've got altars there, and we've got a carved image there, and the Baals and the Asherahs were keeping them happy. I tell you what, didn't find much mercy from them. I tell you what, their life histories, biographies of cruelty, bloodshed, uh, the going through the, va- the fire and the valley of the son of Hinnom, all of this, dreadful things. No mercy there. But there is with this God, this God, the God of Israel, the God of what then was the, the Old Testament in its kind of 
state of emerging and, and coming into being, the history of God's dealings. Mercy. Now Manasseh knew for himself. Mercy. Read about it in other people that had it. Now he's had it. Now he knows. No other God. And he's a changed man, wasn't he? There's a way back to God. And whether we, whether we're sat here, whether we're listening on the internet, think to ourselves, well, there's no way back for me. You don't know how bad I am. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how many mistakes I've made. Well, no. Think again, friend. That's you, wherever you are. Think again. This is teaching us this passage, Second Chronicles chapter 33. Just read the first 17 verses. That's showing us there's no hopeless cases. Friend, whoever you are, wherever you are, there's a way back. There's a way back to God because God is a God of mercy. Well, first heading. And let's pile on the pressure in a way. Manasseh sinned against light. He sinned against light. What do we mean by light? Uh, not the stuff of light bulbs and perhaps which we're not going to see so much when all the power cuts come in the future that we're being warned. We're not talking that. We're talking knowledge. The knowledge of God, which is like light shining in a dark place. Knowledge. We don't come by that naturally. Left to our own devices, it's idols and images, it's weird religious practices, and the weirder the better. And if you will, the more sort of self-inflicted wounds, the better. Let's make our children walk for the fire. That was the cruel pagan religions that day. And there was no light. They had no light. The light was with the people of God, and it was revealed. Had to be. Doesn't come naturally to man to think these thoughts, to understand God in this way. God has to speak to us, has to shine light upon us before we ever, any of us, will know. And some people don't have light, do they? And in that way, we feel for them. So we send people out and help people who are already out there to preach the word of God where it's not already being heard, because there's no light. That's what stirred Carey, didn't it? One of our great forebears there, Baptist man that he was, yes, would have identify with what we believe, yes, and was stirred in his own day that there were people without light. They did not know any of this that we can, from measure at least, take for granted. And so as he went and as others have gone to bring people knowledge, to teach them, this is the Bible, the word of God, this is what it teaches. There is a great God who forgives sinners. He has a son, the Lord Jesus. And so they have gone to take that knowledge. Paul, the apostle, was stirred, tried to go into Galatia, tried to go to Bithynia, the Spirit of God withstood them. And then, in the night, a vision, a man begging, a man of Macedonia, come over and help us. Another continent, that was, that was Europe. That was the call for Paul, the apostle there, to take the word of God now into Europe, because they had no light. Come and help us. So though, man of Macedonia, in the vision, knew he had no light and needed the light to come, just as Cornelius had to send for Peter, bring us knowledge of salvation, bring us the light. Angels weren't going to do it, even though Cornelius had seen an angel in Acts 10. The angel wasn't going to announce it, it was going to be the apostle Peter. Send for Peter and he will tell you what you need to know to be saved. And here's the Macedonian man. We have no light, come to us. Though it's a vision, he's like speaking, as it were, for the people there who didn't even know they didn't have any light. Paul concluded from that, and Luke says he was there too, that they should go. They got in a boat, and they went, and preached in Philippi and a few other places in Macedonia and beyond it, kept going. 
Corinth, Athens, Berea, Thessalonica. The list went on, didn't it? Because the people had no light. They didn't have what we very much still take for granted. Something of the truth of the Bible. None of it. Well, Manasseh had plenty of it. Right, didn't have all the Bible that we have now. But oh, he had enough. He had a nation with great history. He had a godly father, Hezekiah, teaching him the things of God. And the things that Hezekiah had seen when God brought, for instance, that great deliverance for Jerusalem. They had the Assyrian army, a huge army, huge empire, bringing all of its resources against a rather insignificant, undefended city like Jerusalem. It had walls, but didn't have an army, anything like to match. And yet God delivered them and sent a plague upon the Assyrian army, killed 185,000 in a night. So that was showing some power. I'm sure Hezekiah would have spoken to his son about that. You could hardly not. And yet it had left no great impression upon him. But Manasseh, well, I don't know, he dismissed it as exaggerated. Well, that's great for you, but I want to try something different. And he really, really had. How often, just digressing really by way of saying the book of Proverbs, so much of that is addressed to young people. And we know there are Proverbs of Hezekiah, that most of the Proverbs of Solomon would account. But then there were also those of Hezekiah. And they were there. Wisdom. And he would have shared that wisdom with his own children or tried to. You may have wondered with young Manasseh, who came to be the king there, perhaps alongside Hezekiah while when he was 12, whether any of it was sinking in. But I don't think we could fault Hezekiah with trying. We should, just digressing a little bit here with young people, urge them to do our children coming to Seekers Club. And I go to the assemblies in the local school to urge them. Take these things seriously. Think about them. We had encouragement Thursday evening. Some of the children are thinking about this and they're wondering about this. That's it for bringing light, bringing wisdom. And as the book of Proverbs, we encourage us bringing wisdom to young people. There it is, Manasseh. I'm afraid is an instance to us of so, so many. So much light, knowledge about God, God's dealings, God's help that he's given, God's character, what he's like, holy and glorious, but how merciful, what deliverance he gave to Jerusalem with the Assyrian army. And Hezekiah, who walked with the Lord and brought back the Passover and sent out instructions to honor God and the decrees and the commandments, Manasseh sinned against it all. And you can hear it, can't you? In the scripture, it's just showing how bad it got. How multiplied and multiplied. Second Kings actually just sends you down that path there. It's Chronicles that shows us, ah, but then what God did. But there's a lot there before God did do that, before he caught this man. And the murders and the deaths there had been and all the ways in which he undid all that his father had done by way of setting good example uh, and having the worship of God properly regulated. He undid it all. Have the worship of idols in the house of God. We'll have uh, these altars there in the temple precincts and we'll encourage everybody, consult spiritists and mediums. And you read it, it just goes on and on and on. How dreadful that it was. And the warnings that, that came and really how, how he just dismissed all, all of those provoking God and the warnings were just not listened to. And there's a summary of those warnings that in 2 Chronicles chapter 
33 verse 7 and 8 there, what God in summary had, had said that he's going to put his name there, but only if they are careful to do all that I've commanded them according to the whole law. There it is, the, the book of Moses. And so all that light that Manasseh had sinned against. Well, my second heading to us, have we sinned against light? All right, we may not have been a king or been setting up carved images there. I don't know, Westminster Abbey or something or other. Probably a fair few things there we would uh, not be thrilled about, but uh, we haven't quite uh, done that. Established pagan shrines and uh, caused people to die. That uh, Manasseh done, you can read about that in Second Kings chapter uh, 21 there. But nevertheless, we might actually have had plenty, putting it in these terms, of Bible around us and about us and kind of dismissed it, a bit like Manasseh, kind of dismissed it. And had any number of preachers who have urged you to believe this, believe what it says, believe the history of it, believe the warnings that are given, believe the promises that are given. And it's left us largely unaffected. Believing parents who might have set us a good example, and yet we didn't listen. Sunday schools, I still meet people that went to Sunday school and got some connection with it, but you wouldn't know it now from the way they live. They may actually, with some respect, talk about their grandparents. All grandparents believe this, and, and they were serious about, about their faith, and they were serious. Well, what about you, you might ask? It doesn't look like you are, but the way you're living you sinned against light. You've had good example. You had Sunday school. You might have had the Bible read and in happier days, school assemblies where the Bible was read. At least I heard the Sermon on the Mount there in my school assembly days. And that's been to churches where there was preaching, heard preaching, heard evangelistic preaching, heard preaching that was Bible preaching and yet left it behind, listened, but then didn't listen enough. Or we might all almost say that somewhere our nation kind of has hints of some past time when the Bible had a place in national life, the Jubilee, and uh, the Queen, and uh, she wasn't well enough there to attend all the events that were put on in her honour. Yet there there was the church service. There, there was the uh, Prime Minister, maybe that what you will, but reading from Philippians 4. Reading from a another book, reading from the Bible, and other things, and anthems and hymns that were Bible, and that's that's our nation. That is more commonplace. Indeed, kings and queens in times past used to call for times of special prayer during the war, during special events and crises. When the pandemic came, pandemic went. We had no no call for prayer. I think it would have fallen on pretty deaf ears. But yet still something, something of the legacy, something of the past catches up with our nation. Oh, yeah, there's the Bible. Oh, yeah, there, there it is, occupying a place in significant times, important events like the Queen's Jubilee. And there's the Bible. Something of it's still there, some light still shining, flickering a bit, much effort being put into extinguishing it totally. People using a lot of their energy to try to kill it off, but it's there. Maybe we have heard some of that. Maybe the background lives with us. And every so often, or maybe every so often, we hear it again. 
we, we, we hear it once more. It stirs us a bit. It kind of pricks our conscience. And we, we resolve, right, I'm, I'm going to go back to church. I'm going to listen to this again. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read the Bible. But we never quite do. And it, every effort kind of ends in failure. We actually feel worse for that. Ooh, we've sinned against a bit more light. So we can think, oh, that's hopeless. I'm a, I'm a hopeless case. Oh, let's just give up. Let, let's just give up. I try. And there's, oh, I just don't find it in me to continue. I, I, I go to church. I hear it. I'm, I'm a bit stirred. I get a bit anxious about my state before God. I hear that much, but then I, I kind of walk away and I never really follow through with it. And then I feel bad about myself in that. And I think, oh, I don't think God, God would hear me. I don't think God could consider me at all here. We can feel we've left it too late, maybe. Too many times, too much light. We're almost saying, yeah, I've had too much light. I don't think, I don't think God would be able, able to hear me. He wouldn't receive me. I'm too far, far away from him. And now, all these tangle of relationships, hey, right, Ness, people out there, I won't name the names, but people out there, sad, sad and tragic situations. And how can this mess be solved? Why, this just beyond me. I'm a hopeless case. There's nowhere to take this. We might, when we've been stirred, then stop, freeze. We think, wait a minute, though. Does that mean I've got to believe this? Believe all these statutes, all these laws. Believe God of supernatural power. God who parted the Red Sea and the God who made this world out of nothing in six days. Believe that. Wait a minute. And people can sort of back away there that they can see the light, but they swallow, they blink. I can't cope with that. You mean this world, this secular world, where they dismiss these things and very... Very eminent, very well-spoken people say, oh, it's rubbish, that. I mean, I've got to say, it's not rubbish. How do I feel about it? It's light, and I'm feeling a little bit guilty that I haven't got what it takes or feel I've got what it takes to stand and proclaim that. And yet for all the world, we think we're missing something. I might feel this, but I think I'm missing something. There's something more. Are these people, you may look at other people that are Christians and, uh, well, they're pretty ordinary people and their lives are not spared uh, the trials of life or mistakes that need to be sorted out. You can see it. You can see maybe something in them that they keep going. And these people are still there and they're still believing. They're believing in this God and they, they're affirming beyond really what they could have seen about the beginning of the world and beyond really what they scientifically in their background can affirm, but they seem happy to believe, no, this, this is sorted. It can be. This world was made as, as we're told it was made. And it works scientifically, they say, even though they're not really scientists. And they're comfortable with that. And it pricks our conscience. We know they found something. They found something. This God, they found him. And some stirring in there that you, you'd like to find him too. So there we are. Have we sinned against light? And are we feeling a, a bit of a hopeless case? Because we have and we know it. And we feel unable to move. We're a bit paralyzed. We're a bit sort of stuck. Then the final heading is this. The God who forgives. Oh, isn't that something, friends? Describe all of that. Manasseh had him there. Maybe maybe some of us who are listening, I don't know, online, wherever it might be. There's the God who forgives. God who forgives. You mean he forgave 
Manasseh. He, he forgave him. He, he forgave all the things he was doing, all the altars, the wooden images, worshipping all the hosts of heaven, uh, causing his sons to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom, practicing soothsaying witchcraft mediums, doing much evil in the sight of the Lord. He forgave him. And the answer is yes, he did. He did. Forgave him, a murderer, uh, an idolater, the worst kind, breaking commandment after commandment. Him. Yes, he forgave him. Because the man turned to the Lord. And though he might have felt himself a hopeless case, but like in the parable of the tax collector and the sinner, <laughs> who would not so much as look to heaven, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And the Lord says, I tell you this, as if you really should hear this. You really should t- hear this. It's going to surprise you. But that man went home justified, right in the sight of God, forgiven, not the Pharisee in that particular context. And a Manasseh goes back to Jerusalem justified and, and recovers in measure all that he'd thrown away, all that he'd lost, because that's the expansiveness of the generosity of God. That's the scale on which he works. It abounds. Mercy, grace abounds, as Bunyan wrote his book, to the chief of sinners. Apostle Paul would say it abounds. It abounded to me. And Manasseh, who perhaps we might even credit him with seeing ahead to the day of Christ and rejoicing in it, that he would say it abounds. What I had done, oh, the guilt that was at my door, that I was chargeable for, the offences. And he said, I could list them myself and they come back to me and I see what I did there, what I did to my children. And I was taken into exile. I was carted off there. They put a hook through my nose. That's what they did to show how we've conquered you. We just drag you along and treat you like a, just like you're nothing. And there in your bronze fetters, the Babylon. And it looked all over and out, didn't it? Looked all over and out. You're now a prisoner in a foreign land. You've lost everything. Gone. What can be done? Except there in that low state and with a conscience that was so burdened. And with so much light. His father, he would have been thinking about him. Oh, if only I'd listened to him. If only I'd listened to the instruction I'd received. If only I'd listened to the, the proverbs that appealed to me as a child, as a young man, as a, as a boy. Oh, if only I'd believed the history, those remarkable dealings that God had had with my people, taking us out of Egypt and bringing us into the land and helping us and great kings like David and what he'd done through him, the promises that we had. If only I'd listened. But he dared to believe that God could be merciful to him, a most hopeless case. That he would have disputed with Paul, that Paul took the title chief of sinners. He was a no, no, Paul, it was me actually. Oh, oh, you want to know what I did? And he realized that there could be mercy in the heart of a God to him. We read it, don't we? He was in affliction. He'd worked it out now. He'd come to his senses like the prodigal son. He worked it out. 
And he implored the Lord. He didn't just sort of ask, kind of casually. It's a big word, isn't it? Implored, pleaded. He really, he's in tears, isn't he? He he knows the game's up. He knows what a fool he has been. Cruel, wicked, evil things. What light he sinned against. He he humbled himself. Again, note the word as we have it in English: greatly, greatly. Not just oh, I made a few mistakes here. Oh, yeah, people say that. Oh, I, yeah, I've not got everything right. <laughs> Friends, we sure haven't got everything right. We've got practically nothing right in the the most sort of stark and the clearest analysis, using as it were the lens by which God looks upon us as judge. No, oh, we've got nothing right. So he humbled himself greatly. It shouldn't be lost on a side before the God of his fathers. God who had been the God of his fathers, his, his own father and his family before him. Hezekiah's father didn't get it right there either. But David, Solomon in his better moments. And other, the judges, Samuel the prophet. God of his fathers. It's all coming back to him. How he'd sinned against that light. How they knew this God, and he had thought, I know better. I don't need this. Now look at him there in this prison in Babylon, hooked through his nose, whatever state he's now in. And he humbles himself greatly before the God of his fathers. He's confessing, they knew better than me. They got it right, I've got it wrong. Badly, badly wrong. And I see it now. But it's just their hope, because he knew too that this God has mercy. Mercy upon sinners, had mercy upon the Hebrews in slavery in Egypt without a hope, hopeless cases them. Yet he heard their cry and he brought them up out of that furnace, out of their afflictions, brought them, finally, of course, not without a few mishaps there, but into the promised land. And Manasseh, therefore, from that knowledge, knowing that now... That's what sin is. Look at it. What a wickedness. What an evil dwells within us. But he knows that there's somebody who can help. There's a God who, though so holy and so, so just, forgives sinners, forgives them, and does it very freely, actually willingly, and has done all that needs to be done for them to be forgiven. Has thought this all through beforehand, as it were. And has for them remedy. For us, we can say, yes, the atoning sacrifice. Our Lord Jesus Christ, join all the glorious names. Well, you can join them all. Isaac Watts there kind of shows us. They're all too mean to speak his worth, aren't they? Set a saviour there properly forth. They are God who pardons, God who forgives. And his is the only forgiveness that we need. Ultimately, to know that our judge is willing to pardon us the offences that we have committed against him, and that he pardons and pardons freely on account of his son. And the forgiveness is large and can be believed upon because the one who obtained that forgiveness is great. Why, it is God himself in his son reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses against them, pardoning them freely because those trespasses and those sins, all the things that Manasseh had done, all the things we have done, all that the hopeless cases have done, sinning against light. 
and he pardons them. And he says, well, my son atones for all that kind of sin. He atones for those who knew nothing about him until somebody came, a Carey came or a modern equivalent, and told them. But also for all those who grew up with this, heard it perhaps from their mother's knee and heard preachers preach it and Sunday school teachers who implored them to believe and they didn't listen and they walked away from it. But now there is still hope because there is the sacrifice that any of us need. And if we think we're not hopeless cases, well, see what happened to the Pharisee there who despised others, maybe despised the hopeless cases. Well, don't look down your noses at them. We're all hopeless cases. Manasseh is just an example to us of how God has mercy on the most extreme of hopeless cases. But we're hopeless too, and there is a way for us. There it was for Saul of Tarsus who became the Apostle Paul. There is matchless grace or conquering grace. If we think we're hopeless, think again, look at the cross. There is such a wonderful sacrifice which God has freely given. He hasn't said, well, this is a sacrifice for some sin, but not those of particular horror and of such hopelessness, such a light they sinned against, so it doesn't work for you. Stay away, no hope. No, there's hope there. And Manasseh, as it were in his day, saw that fountain that was open to him, believed, trusted, knew, because he found forgiveness. He found peace to his troubled soul. And then to see himself restored, he must have just been amazed. How is this? I've ended up here, back in Jerusalem, my kingdom restored. And, and, and now I've got a work to do, and I can do a better job than I did before. And I'm going to make sure I do do a better job. And so he did. There are consequences. There, there, there were consequences. There would have been things that he couldn't put right. His children, he couldn't bring them back. The people that had died under his watch couldn't bring them back. The, the sense of shame at how he had done, well, that, that would live in measure, not control, not destroy him, but he'd have been mindful of it regarding it. But here's the thing, isn't there, with that, although we can't undo the past in that way, we can't go back in time and get that right and get that right. It's done, it's done. But we can... The phrase I just used in our church meeting, which you'd have heard out there, I'm sure, build back better. I'll be preaching on that in a few Lord's Day mornings time, building back better. And he kind of did. He took the lessons and uh, he, he built back better here, literally, didn't he? And uh, he in there, the closed offel, and uh, he, he built there as far as the entrance, the fish gates, and uh, raised the walls to a very great height. He knew the dangers now. He knew problems we've got to we've got to be better we've got to be defensive here we've got to be watchful there it is with him to do that and he's now organizing rather than destroying his society he's got his military captains got them in all the fortified cities he's got rid of the foreign gods they have got to go and though people might have been a bit cynical is he really changed this is just a bit of window dressing here he's not sincere yes he was he, he's now found God. He's found his mercy and he's inspired. He's a new man and he's building back better now. He, he's trying to undo the damage and all the mistakes he's made. He's trying to put them right as far as lay within its power. And that's what often happens when people have sinned against light. They, they are more urgent now. They know the dangers. Their conscience is more tender. They've got insights. They found mercy. 
And isn't it not true, those who are forgiven much love much. There is more activity and going about the job there and time to catch up on. Got to um, kind of undo the past a bit here and build back better. And he is. And we can uh, appreciate that and get everything right again. The people still sacrificing on the high places. But look, he's offering peace offerings and thank offerings. He's got a lot to be thankful for, hasn't he? He would have been extravagant in those. There would have been a lot of thank offering. Those sort of free will offerings that are where the worshipper goes, I must do this before God. Well, you can see him, can't you, every day doing this before God. Because he has been so forgiven. He'll be saying, I was a hopeless case. Nobody would have given me a price. They'd have said anybody I can believe being saved, but not Manasseh. <laughs> Look what he's done. No chance there. And yet God revived him, brought him back, restored him. No hopeless cases. And friend, if that's you, whether you're sat here in front of me or whether you're on the internet, perhaps the more listening, that's who God is. That's what his son does. His whole message of the Christian faith is that God forgives sin. His son accounts for sin. He's died. We deserve the death, but no, his son took the death instead by agreement of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that it should be. And all sin, none accepted, no exemptions, no small print to have to bring to your attention, no small print. All sin, every sinner's sin can be forgiven. Yes, you have to humble yourself. There it is. And implore, not for the casual kind of passerby. You've got to see the importance of it, the gravity, what's been done, the offense against God. And particularly we've sinned against light. Yes, there's gravity of it, but there's forgiveness in it. And that's what Manasseh found. And friend, you can find it too. But come, come therefore. Don't try again and flop back and oh, feel the failure. No, don't do that. Implore him. And if you can bring tears, good, bring tears. But you will find that there is an ear that hears you and that he receives entreaties. He hears supplications And he brings people back from their prisons, from captivity to sin. He brings them back to Jerusalem, brings them back to health and fitness, to a future and a hope. So listen, believe, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved. And that I leave you with as I finish this morning's sermon here. May God bless it to you wherever you are.